Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. week huh oh yeah you're telling me (laughs) (laughs) i think i've lost my ability to properly read news headlines actually oh really yeah i saw a national geographic article that was it, it was something like this controversial therapy for autism with dolphins huh and in my brain i'm like what wait what are they doing why the Dolphins can have autism. Um, (laughs) And I just felt so dumb. I was like, oh, oh, it's like hippy dippy. Let the children play with the dolphins. Right. right. That's what they meant. Ah, I I just completely misread the headline. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's pretty much how all of Twitter functions with Mm -hmm. reading headlines at the end of the day. But yeah, I, I do that all the time. Where I just accidentally mm-hmm. will misread things or just swap words. Um, yeah. Which is probably just dyslexia and I haven't realized it yet. But I'm just going to keep rolling and saying it's just visual mistakes. Mm-hmm. I used to think that I had synesthesia because I associated a lot of numbers with colors. And then I one day realized it is entirely because of Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm going like, to Huh. Yeah, like like the numbers that I associate with colors, uh I believe all correspond to um the numbers that uh Thomas and his friends had. So what's number 1? I can't remember Thomas's. Blue. Is... blue. Th- Thomas was blue. That's right, of course. Uh this explains I think how I'm just going to have an existential crisis for a moment about this because I, I did not. I was as soon as you said like, yeah, I used to think like for for referring numbers to colors. I was like, wait, we don't do that because I think I did that, too. But now I don't know. And I'm going to sit here and wonder that forever now. Um, what sound does 15 make to you? Whoa. <laughs> but speaking of uh, pseudoscience, um, we're we're in a bit of a spooky place right now. Bit of an odd place. For sure. Yeah, definitely a bit echoey and damp. Um, mm-hmm, can't really mm-hmm. see much. So yeah. these flashlights yeah, are only getting us so far here as we traverse this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What we have sort of stumbled across here are the Uncanny Valley catacombs mm-hmm. uh, that were discovered actually during the construction of the Uncanny County Museum and have sort of been incorporated into it as an exhibition space as well. We don't know where any of these bodies, uh, and particularly where any of these skulls came from. They were just under the uncanny valley. Yep, just here, and found it best to leave that be. I think we can interrogate. We can interrogate it a little bit. Well, I think yeah. I don't think we're just gonna say no. Nah, let's just ignore that. Like the basement leads right here. Nah, it's just you know we don't go there. Uh, but no, I think it's worth 
in interrogating and having a conversation about this, particularly for what we're going to be presenting today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, displaying human remains in general and also, I mean, even the study of human remains has been sort of fraught throughout history. Mm. You know, even medical science and anatomy students artists being able to study bodies that was such a scandal in the renaissance um and even you know made its way into more uh you know really even un- until the 1800s yeah just the 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 whole weird underground black market of getting human remains for study was what was just a fraught industry oh yeah uh, as as we sort of tried to confront maybe our uh, unease uh, with death on the one hand, but also different cultural um, ideas of what the body represented, what a dead person's legal rights were. This is mm. a, a an interesting uh, intersection of a lot of different philosophies because you suddenly do not have a person to speak for themselves right right uh, and and that that person enters more of the realm of the object Mm. uh and this gets even more fraught if you want to incorporate that into a museum because now what are you trying to say if you make a human a museum object and an object of study obviously we've learned a lot and medical science has progressed so much since we you know started letting doctors dissect people yes yes you know true. i think uh I, I i i think you know eventually we figured out leeching wasn't the thing to do no if someone's feeling no. sick do you know how george washington died i don't actually george washington had like a cold and so they bled him what and then he died from blood loss <sighs> it was a different time i i look i uh, older medicine is just insane when you start to think about it i know i preached it at the museum a lot about like oh how the medieval times weren't that dirty and it wasn't really that bad there are a lot of exaggerations out there yeah you know i i would never i would not survive i don't think any of us would with our immune systems Um, in that environment Joe, never mind your immune system, your eyesight. Oh, yeah. I would have been screwed. <laughs> I would have just been absolutely blind. Forget it. Yeah, ah, yeah. No glasses. No medieval glasses yet. They were just, uh, no glass for, like, for cheap glass, let's say. Mm, yeah. I mean, we, we would have been burned at the stake for multiple different reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm, I don't think mm-hmm. they would have liked my outlook on the church. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, don't worry. We'll, we'll, we can get to bashing that later. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I mean, uh, I mean, religion was a component of this, but also mm. people's attitudes about dead bodies. Yes. Um, and and what sort of what it sort of means to have an unburied body and un uh, a, a body that is not in what we would consider a peaceful resting place, whatever that is across different cultures mm. is right, right. It's an interesting anxiety and paranoia that we have uh, because even, even if y- the culture is not to, uh, you know, 
stick it in the ground and throw a cross on top of it, you know, there's still quite a bit now about repatriating a lot of um, bodies that were used as sort of like natural history specimens. But, you know, it was just indigenous people that some missionary in New Zealand sent in a box to you. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, uh, it's definitely a very, I don't even want to say it's complex because it shouldn't be this Mm -hmm. idea. I think it's pretty straightforward that displaying human remains Mm -hmm. is not great now at all. I, I know this was a big conversation when, um, well, we, when we were in Florence too, this never stopped. But even when I first went, uh, as an undergrad to study abroad, you know, working mm-hmm. within the um, La Specola in Florence before it closed for repairs for seven years or whatever it's going to take, but also in um, <laughs> in the Anthrop- Anthropology Museum of Florence and how they do have, I don't know if they still do, so no bashing, but um, they had a, a uh, I believe it was a, mum- it was mummified remains from an indigenous person from Peru or South America, somewhere in the, those regions. I'm not entirely mm-hmm. from sure, but it's a pretty, you know, it's on display in the middle of the museum. And yeah. it's pretty harrowing because you sit there and yeah. think about it, like, that's a per, you know, this is a person. Mm-hmm. This is, this was somebody. And now they become this mm-hmm. object because everything else yeah. surrounding it is objects. And, you know, they have a very, they've been working on that on in a sense of mm-hmm. like, how do you display this? Like, how do we talk about this? Cause it's worth talking about. I think of like, we need to interrogate yeah. that, but how do you get out of that kind of paradox? Right. Where it's like, we need to talk yeah. about remains, but we keep the remains in the museum because the museum is the space to do it. And I think for me, that's like the, difficult... well, I think we would all prefer the museum to, you know, someone's mantle. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> you know, I have, I always want to question why something is in a museum, but I would have fewer questions if I walked in and there's a person's skull in a museum versus, you know, just uh, in somebody's china cabinet. What did, what did you, did you hear about? I mean, I don't know much about this and I, I don't, I don't want to necessarily dive too far, but did you hear about like that one? Uh, I think it was on TikTok or somebody, this person, it was like, they were pretty much bragging about how it's legal to own human spines and bones and remains, and you could collect them. And he like collected them and I guess dusted them off or whatever and expect inspected and all this stuff. And he got so much flack for this. I don't know the user. I don't know too much about it because yeah. I avoid a lot of this. But all I know is it was compared to the um, whatever was on Tumblr that I think we talked about too. Yes, it ha- it has <laughs> echoes of that. Yeah. Both of these are instances where... Um, Things went down on a day I had offline, so I only kind of got to see people's reactions to it mm. rather than what was happening in the moment. Right. I think the the Tumblr, uh, the, it, it is very reminiscent of quite a few Tumblr, tum, <laughs> uh, it is reminiscent of a, quite a few Tumblr scandals, including, yeah. you know, uh, the person owning human remains, uh-huh. the person that it turns out their family had a slave. Yeah. And they yeah. were a very popular blogger. I I have I get I have a lot of mixed emotions about this. Uh I think you know, we have um in in general in our current society, at least in, you know, uh American society, we have a clear discomfort with death. Yeah. Um I'm not 
I'm not, I, I feel like there is some kind of need to have an encounter with mortality. Mm. And I'm not saying we all need to, you know, be, you know, looking at skulls all the time. Um, but there is something to be said for kind of the post-Civil War thing that we've had in the States where we are very um, detached culturally from the idea of death. We don't want to see it. We don't want to hmm. think about it. And that, you know, that's not even necessarily a religious judgment. I would just say in our contemporary secular society, um, we have interesting rules about what we do and do not want to see. Um, I've always been kind of fascinated by the show Bones uh, and a <laughs> lot of those crime scene investigation shows. Yeah. Because it's so interesting. Like, I was in a Chili's and Bones <laughs> was playing on the TV above the bar. Weird. That's really And haunting. you're just like, yeah, you know, I'm sitting there enjoying my uh my tableside guac and I look up and there is, you know, it's it, it's a goofy scene in Bones cuz Bones has a lot of levity to it, has a lot of, you know, quirky characters that right. like to look at bugs. Right. And, you know, socially awkward people. And you're like, you know, there's a I am in ostensibly a, a family restaurant. There is a corpse on the television right now. That's bizarre. And and there's like a joke about it falling over too, like uh. off a gurney. But because it's it's at a certain point where it is unrecognizable as a person that that is safe, you know. Um, yeah. That you don't really have that moment of this could be me. Mm. So. Mm. There, there is some kind of detachment at some point, uh, and the I think the main thing is the idea that there is some kind of care for someone after they have died, uh, right. depending on what your philosophy or theology is as to how important the physical body even is mm, to yes, yeah. to a person. Um, if whether or not you believe in cremation, whether or not you believe in burial. Um, it's, it, it, it comes down to, you know, usually a family's preference. Um, hmm. yeah. but you know, when we're studying these things in the museum, there are things to be learned and there are things to confront. I don't think I want to say that we should never display human remains because, you know, at a certain point we, we we also don't want to get into a weird space again where we say humans are better than all other uh, organisms on Earth yes. and we can't look at ourselves in a natural history context. I don't think... Right. As, as long as the fossils weren't stolen, I don't think there would be the same problems of looking at an Australopithecus skeleton. Yeah, I uh, mean you'll you'll get you'll get controversy from creationists. Wow, of course. Um, but there are, you know, like how far back do we want to go before we start calling or what? When when is it safe to stop calling it grave robbing? Because mm, you know, yeah. there's there's so much we can learn when we you know uncover um a, a burial site. Uh, there's so much we can learn about human migration and evolution. Uh, there's 
uh, material culture to be right. learned about. Um, is it something where we take them out, we study them and then put them back and put a headstone above it? Mm. Uh, or mm. do we keep them in the, uh, in sort of the context of the Temple of Knowledge Museum. You know, now they are interned in this mausoleum to education. I think that's the side, if this were a binary issue and this was down to the two of us to decide it. Oh my which, God. Um, yeah, no thankfully pressure. It's, yeah, thankfully it's not, but. I am going to come down maybe on the side of museums on this one. Uh-huh. That being said, I t- am also somebody that, believes in repatriating uh things when when possible and practical uh right but but i am i am i am saying that with a lot of caveats you know sure no of course yeah yeah so i'm i'm torn about about human remains in general i do i am always curious about our contemporary uh unease with the death in general and what that sort of does to us yeah. as a society when we not that we need to be too morbid but you know i i i think i think it's worth keeping in mind your mortality every now and then i don't know if i've talked about this at the museum before but my uh stepfather was a funeral director i don't i don't think you mentioned it here i don't think so yeah so it as a high schooler, I would work for him sometimes on the weekends and in the afternoons after class. Whoa. And, you know, you're if you're at a graveside preparing for uh, the ceremony or you're back at the funeral home, like waiting for the family to come in or something. And mm-hmm. you have sort of that moment alone with a body. And you're I I don't think it messed me up but it gave me a lot to think about at a time in your life where you're maybe starting to see yourself become an adult and your mortality is theoretically more on your mind right you were just given an existential question and crisis (laughs) at a very young age from that i don't know how you did it i don't think i could have handled that (laughs) but uh it's very interesting i remember you were telling i guess you were telling us about that because i was in graduate school and I remember mm-hmm. um, that conversation coming up, and I was like, "Whoa, what? Hold on!" And and I I, I still find that very interesting, mm-hmm. though. Of we just kind of were the Adams family for a while <laughs> yeah. while my mom was uh was was seeing him. Right. Uh, That's, uh... It was. It, he had uh, some. He had it. Yeah, he had a vintage Cadillac hearse. Oh my god! That we would ride around in on Halloween. <laughs> wow. I would sometimes come to high school uh, dressed in a black suit because I had a funeral to go to afterwards. Oh my god! Yeah, it's kind of. That's yeah, it's very interesting though. Yeah, I guess you mm-hmm. were the Adams family. Um, kind of were for yeah. a little bit there. Oh my yeah. gosh, that's mm-hmm. super interesting. Probably, probably why I really would love to have a uh, pinstripe suit. Ah, uh, there. That's probably why for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, yeah, it's it's very interesting. One of the things I'm reflecting on while we talk about this is like growing up Catholic for whatever mm-hmm. amount. I think it was like five, five years or whatever you want to call it, right? Or like specifically mm-hmm. Italian Catholic, which I feel like is always a little different. Um, mm-hmm. So the whole mm-hmm. open casket thing. Oh, yeah. I do not like it. And you I'll guys you, have wakes, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, don't even get me started. <laughs> it's very bizarre. Like, I don't, 
I mean, I think I'm pretty comfortable in saying I don't handle death well. It is mm. very... I get confused, I think, in a sense of just, like, mm-hmm. not understanding. Like, being, like, in that surreal moment of, like, oh, this has happened. Like, time is moving on, and one day yeah. I will also die. And it doesn't scare me, but I think it throws me into, like, a disassociated state. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've heard the logic of the open casket of, you know, well, you're basically facing death one more time. That's the point of them. Right. I disagree. But I, because it's not, to me, it's like it's not the person, right? You're looking at remains and you're looking at a a, a, vi- mm-hmm. a version of it, an artistry of it, because it's, you know, mm-hmm. that's part of the job, which n- no disrespect. I mean, that's obviously what people mm-hmm. want and that's totally fine. And it's a cultural thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think it's very interesting to kind of reflect on in that way. Um, and and mm-hmm. Wake's, you know, I didn't know that that wasn't just like a thing, right? That like everybody <laughs> experienced. And I've been to like enough to just have, I, they're so bizarre because it's like you're at this like very <laughs> sad moment and then all of a sudden you're at somebody's house eating like antipasta and stuff and just like watching whatever on TV and people are just like laughing and having a good time. And I mean, I've always, it's it's weird because you're like, you feel guilty, which I think is just the, at the end of mm. the day, what it's like to be Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> but or growing up Catholic, I should say. But at the same time, it's like I think you're supposed to be relieved to a certain degree. You're supposed to let out your emotions in that way. And I don't think it's healthy in a way to just like remove oneself from a grieving process. And I don't think you know mm-hmm. that it should be always silence and kind of like sadness because I think it's just it's going to come out no matter what. So anyway, without me tangenting too far, I do think it's very interesting in that way in the in the connection of what you're saying about how americans in particular handle death or look at death and you know mm-hmm. speaking like even in personal experience and this is something i'm just realizing now as we're in these catacombs like i i took a class in undergraduate school where i it was a it was a draw from life class but it was specifically right. an anatomy class and part mm-hmm. of the course was in connection with our school's like medical uh college um, mm-hmm. They had access to one of these labs where mm-hmm. y- they were working on cadavers and you, right. we were invited to go in and mm-hmm. draw from cadavers, w- which were being dissected at the time, um, mm-hmm. which was very interesting for somebody that, for me in this case, who doesn't really want to look at dead bodies. But I, you know, I, I yeah. was curious. So I took it and this was after, you know, this was before I went to, uh, I went, I got out of New Jersey for a bit and went to mm-hmm. abroad and actually ended up studying something very similar. So mm-hmm. anyway, it was interesting though. I think maybe this is a p- bit of the answer of the display, right? Because it, it was context, number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Respect was like, you had, I mean, there was no no pictures, none of this, no fooling around. Like, it was mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. strict of what was going to happen. And you're in there and there's this realization of like what you're looking at. And for me, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, this is a person, but it's also not a person. This is a remains. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting, though, because I don't think it... And I never got, like, freaked out. I never panicked like I thought I would. I never got nauseous like I thought I would. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's a bit of a condition that we have by how we're supposed mm-hmm. to react to death. So I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. But as soon as you see a face and what happens to a face, yes. the association happens. And you snap into yeah. it. And I yeah. think that is a bit of the haunting in this. And I think that's a bit of with even seeing skulls and some of the skulls we're seeing now, it's like, as soon as you can connect a face to something, which I think is also mm-hmm. just inherent in our nature from, you know, 
evolution and also just adaptations. Yeah. I think that is the trigger point of realizing your own mortality. And I think that's where it becomes yeah. this this question of, ooh, right? Like how do we how do we feel about this, everybody? Like how do we, you know, deal with that? <laughs> is this okay? Is it not? And also and also to this point too of what you were saying about like the human putting themselves at the center yet again and separating ourselves. Yeah, saying that like we can look at a fox skull and a horse skull yeah. in a museum, but we can't look at a human skull. Yeah, and I don't want to, and I don't want to necessarily come off in a bad way with this, but I also think that that's kind of interesting in terms of like decoration, right? You know, we <laughs> people do use decorated animal skulls, and obviously for yeah. traditional sake, absolutely, right? Like this is a it's a cultural thing. No, mm-hmm. no hate, no shame. Totally understand throughout history. It does get a little weird when they're made out of plastic, and I think it is a little weird when we do it for like uh, aesthetic. Right, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know. So that's a question I have too now. Of of like, and obviously people are gonna say, well, no, a human is you know more than an animal, and it's like, well, are we or are we not? Is this a question? And I, but I, I, I mean, really... is it is it is it even insulting that we make um, dino nuggets out of chicken? Well, oh, oh man, oh no, oh god, uh, raptors! Uh, I totally forgot. I always <laughs> that is my go-to fun fact. At this point, <laughs> I'd be like, hey, did you know that uh, chickens are actually like, re- you know, related to dinosaurs in this way? Like to people who obviously don't know about that. So mm. that way, just in case I'm wrong in this, in this situation. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, no, no, no. Uh, there's there's certainly like a an awareness, a healthy awareness to be had for death and also some sort of something that. I, I think what it comes down to is at least in sort of the history of museums and the history of the natural sciences, a tendency to put certain people closer to our idea of animals and extinction than other people. And I think that's where our um, problems come in. Exactly. That being said, we still sort of have an unease with it, even if there is like the most explicit consent there can be. Um, this conversation is reminding me of an article I read about a year ago um, in, uh, I think it was uh, a compilation of um, American uh, short uh, fiction and nonfiction writings. Oh, okay. And one of the one of the excerpts they had was this woman who um, very much wanted to donate her body to science. This was a very important thing for her. She wanted to contribute to, you know, um, understanding forensics and everything to, you know, help uh, help investigators and stuff. Right. um, Right. And helps and help scientists. Uh, so she donated her body was, you know, her family was, you know, obviously sad when she passed, but, um, the, uh, they, they took her body at a body farm and, you know, they, uh, set it wherever it's going to decompose so they can study the, uh, the process of decomposition and, you know, what happens to a body when it dies in certain, or when it's, uh, left in certain conditions. Hmm. Um, what ended up happening, though, even though the family was okay with this, the individual themselves explicitly said that they wanted this um, and was enthusiastic about it. Um, a uh, a journalist, some reporter, a journalist went there to report on the body farm, and uh, there was um, 
a picture of one of the bodies and the family recognized her. Mm. And it was incredibly traumatizing and horrific for them. Interesting. Yeah, that's... Yeah. So I I think the thing to remember is none of this is easy. There's not a simple answer to it, you know? Right. And also everyone that works in it is not a sociopath, you know? Right. Yeah, um, that was that was actually one of the reasons, well, besides ethics, why you're not <laughs> allowed to sh- take pictures in those labs is because yeah. in case somebody else sees it, that's because yeah. there's no consent, right? And yeah. it's still a human being. So it's like, oh my God. Yeah, that's got to be incredibly traumatizing. I can't even imagine. Yeah, what all of this is kind of bringing us to what we what we'd like to talk about in this is mm-hmm. how we think about how bodies enter into places of studying when yes. you know maybe that's not what someone um, uh, uh, even wanted or were aware of what they what their remains would be used for, and then what because of that disregard, what were some of the extrapolations made from that? And this brings us to Samuel George Morton. Have you heard of this uh, gentleman? I have not, but I'm very curious to learn more. Well, he's from Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Samuel George Morton, good Philly boy, 1799 to 1856, was a scientist in... In, in a lot of legitimate terms. Uh, okay. He was part of the sort of Philadelphia intellectual uh, class at the time. Because, you, you okay, I'm going to have to ask you to make a really big swing of imagination. But you ha- what you have to understand is Philadelphia used to be the intellectual center of this country. <sighs> what was that? <laughs> the golden age. <laughs> I'm really harping on Philly. It is it is definitely a very it's a good city, I'm sh- but <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure it's beautiful. Well, oh, okay. All right, then fine. It, uh I have uh, fine. When when we go there and eventually we will, yeah. I will go in with no expectations. Well, um, wait till you see all the the new gentrified buildings and also, you know, pr- problems mm. that the mayor needs to fix but has it. But anyway, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> So I'm sure you'd be fascinated to learn about this as a as a Philly son. Oh, yes. Yes. So uh, Samuel George Morton, um, in addition to studying, uh, you know, fossils and all kinds of natural sciences things, um, he went to uh, uh, University of Edinburgh. Mm. Um, uh, you know, it was part of part of that generation that was like, we're going to, you know, send the youth to study in Europe so they can get really get real smart, come back to Philly. Right, you know, right. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, build up, um, build on America's reputation, particularly in Philadelphia. They always had, um, I think a touchstone for them was always Benjamin Franklin. Oh, still um, is. Yep. Yeah. Even though he was born in Boston. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there, there was sort of that I, idea in Europe, at least, that, you know, America doesn't have significant art. America doesn't have significant scientists. America, you know, doesn't even have, like... I, I think there, there was even this thing going around that, like, um, 
American animals were like weaker than superior European animals. This was a big thing. Really? For, yeah, this was this was a thing even for like Thomas Jefferson, like had a chip on his shoulder about this and like wanted to like show the Europeans the great, you know, uh, impressive animals that were native to the continent. There was really this idea that they that they wanted to build up the reputation of the new world uh for you know its its potential as um an intellectual center as an artistic center and as a you know a, and of course natural resources sure yeah um so but what morton's legacy kind of is is also uh scientific racism unfortunately mm, right right um he collected almost a thousand human crania okay um and was v- here's the interesting thing that we have to understand is he was really into measuring things because i that was sort of uh what what they sort of had to work on at the time was let's measure let's make a let's make a chart let's uh let's try to see what we can find and morton was in this camp of people that um believed in five races of humans oh boy um and he used his skull collection to support that and to not only support that but to support the idea that the uh caucasians were the superior uh of those five races of humans of course he did yes right so we're gonna go there this is gonna get into the field of phrenology um which is a at this point largely considered a pseudoscience but this is that if you took a a a person's skull that you would be able to determine uh, not only their race, but mm. what um, what their values were, what their morals were, and also what their intelligence was, just based on measuring the dimensions of the skull. Yes. Um, yeah. And for Morton, this see here's the thing Joe. <laughs> uh, I sometimes wonder, like, because I don't consider myself a scientist because I'm not. Um. But I feel like back in this time, I feel like scientists was just, it was any guy that had like a shell collection, you know, <laughs> you ever just kind of get that feeling that like a lot of these old timey scientists in the 1800s, it was just like, I have this enormous collection of dead lizards. I'm a scientist, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think it was a lot of that. I think it's the whole philosopher argument, right? Of like, people way back when just thinking more and proposing these ideas and then they just became philosophers right it was just an easier time to become smart i guess or to seem smart (laughs) it was an an easier time to be smart (laughs) (laughs) that's a a multi-layered joke i just thought oh my god god um yeah so i mean well this is interesting because you know this isn't that far off from uh you know darwin is alive at this point right Um, right the theory of evolution isn't going to take hold yet but um you know if we're in sort of this uh mid 1800s period um you know they're getting close you know Uh 
And one of the interesting things about Darwin is Darwin wrote like a philosopher. Oh, yeah. Um, the natural philosophy was a thing. You could be this philosopher, scientist, poet person. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was beautiful in a lot of ways, I think because of the intersectionality that a lot of those scientists had at that time, the wonderful sort of thing about them. And I think this to this day, this is the charm that paleontologists will always have to me is they know a lot or they know a little about a lot of stuff. For sure. You know, yeah. they might, they have a thing that they focus on intently and they research, but it is always informed by all of these other things that they're curious about and that they've encountered. And they use that to um, further their own ideas. Where this goes with Morton, I mean, because Morton legitimately got an education. You sure, know, yeah. You know, I, I I shouldn't downplay that too much. But Morton is also occurring mm -hmm. um, during a, a the intersection of a lot of other ideas. So let's sort of, let's accept the fact that this was a racist um, conclusion. And let's right. look at what this was an outgrowth of at the time. Okay. Um, one thing is Morton never explicitly uh, endorsed slavery, you know, because that's also a debate topic at this time. He wouldn't live to see the Civil War, but, you know, he's living in the North, and it's, at least in the North, was less fashionable to be in support of slavery. Right. But this is also an important thing to acknowledge the racism that could also occur even in the intelligentsia of the north oh yeah because morton also wrote some very unsavory things uh to, while on a trip to barbados i i don't know if we'll have time to get into that um but morton had you know sort of like this idea of like let's like gradually like let you know them graduate to you know uh <sighs> like chill like treating treating non-white people as children um uh, you know type of idea that like when you release them from slavery too soon they won't be able to fend for themselves oh you know it, like that like that type of idea uh <laughs> not great no, no, it, no. this this is this is there's gonna be a lot of yikes here yeah yeah so Okay, so let's let's get into what Morton, where Morton is coming from. This is a very, uh, the 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 idea of phrenology did not was not incepted as a means of saying anything significant about race. Phrenology actually kind of grew out of more of a kind of more of a almost like an astrology type of thing. Okay, like. It was a, it was actually very popular um, among the working class of Great Britain. Um, they actually really liked this idea, um, just in terms that this was kind of an easy I, a concept to understand. And also it kind of gave people an idea that like, even if like someone, and, and we're sort of talking about, you know, all of these people looking at themselves as, you know, they're not necessarily making um, racial judgments just yet. They haven't made that leap, mm -hmm. but they're saying, like, that person doesn't look right. And so I'm going to say I'm going to be careful around that person because, you know, maybe right. they mean me ill or they'll try to swindle me. This is... Um, you know, this is an incredibly like tribalist type of idea, you know, that 
uh, that like you can tell by looking at someone that they're they're from they're from another group they want to hurt you but this was this was kind of more of like an astrology type of idea that just some people are born like this and there is like sort of this explanation as to why there are um bad people among us in any community hmm so it it's also a very at the time a very humanist idea um and a very like um kind of post enlightenment idea of the brain um what phrenology was you know what the the legitimate science that it was growing out of was the idea that the brain is the center of human you know thought and emotions and and everything and that was you know an important step in science to recognize that sure and remember this is also post enlightenment and secularization is happening in right, europe right. and in the americas so this was like evidence for human beings acting on their own and that there wasn't this was something um that could explain for human behavior um beyond an immaterial soul that was very important that mm. the it was the brain not the soul that was doing these things so uh morton's morton's sort of coming out of all of these types of ideas and when you start from the correct assumption that okay if everything we do is controlled by our brain then to understand people we need to study the brain hmm. that's not an entirely incorrect way to start no. i think it, it's it's not entirely wrong and <laughs> this is the other thing about old-timey science and medicine is that sometimes they were right and i don't know whether to attribute that to you know people I mean, we know to attribute, you know, trial and error and the scientific method, but sure. also there's this weird thing that shows up every now and then. I don't know if there's a historical, um, if there's a historical, uh, word for this or a scientific word for this, but what, what was it called in this instance where people made people coming from an incorrect conclusion, but made proper deductions every now and then because hmm. a, a broken clock is right twice a day I, I i do you know like what um have you ever like heard someone like talk about like why rasputin really was um you know uh so close to the russian royal family um yes i've heard a few different versions of that yeah, I mean, the, the popular version being that, you know, he seduced the queen, which there isn't really a ton of historical evidence for. Yeah, I don't think. What, it, yeah, yeah the, the, the current going narrative, if you're a historian, at least, is that the, the prince, the, the czar's son, mm -hmm. had hemophilia. Yes. And um, aspirin had been invented at the time. Hemophilia caused a lot of pain. So the doctors prescribed him aspirin. Aspirin uh, is a blood thinner, and right. So that's and uh... made the hemophilia worse. Right. Interesting. So Rasputin comes in. Rasputin, you know, he's got like 
He's got like a goth chick on each arm, just waltzes in, you know. Smells awful. Heavy metal music starts playing out of nowhere, and everybody's like, where is that coming from? You know. And Rasputin comes in and is like, hey, like, don't give him those drugs, man. And basically Rasputin's advice always was, nobody touch him, I'll pray for him, and he'll be fine. And we don't know if Rasputin knew this, but it's very difficult to say whether or not he was aware of the aspirin thing. But what was happening, why the prince seemed to be getting better, was because, more than likely because the doctors left him alone, stopped giving him aspirin, and he felt better because of it. it yeah, huh. That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, bro- broken clock is right twice a day. There you go. Hi there. My name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts, a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. And even like this, and I, I was even talking about this with my dad as far as like kind of old time, like, like even like what we were talking about earlier, like we want to look back and be so horrified by a lot of old timey medicine, but they were kind of going off of, they weren't always wrong because they, they, they sometimes again came to the wrong conclusions, but they didn't get there out of nowhere yeah, there were enough documented cases where drilling a hole. I was going to bring that up. I was just going to bring that up. Them. Oh yeah, gosh. no, that every now and then you get someone that you know what their problem is: intracranial pressure. Yeah, that's a totally real thing that can happen to you. And you know what we still do in the year of our Lord twenty twenty one? We sometimes, sometimes, not always, we sometimes have to drain fluid yeah. from the head yeah it is a it is a thing people survived yeah it's this it, stuff it's kind of crazy like how far back that went i remember being told that that's exactly what i was going to bring up as a reference for yeah this too so we're just on that wavelength which is always nice yeah yeah yeah. but i i think it's it, it's just wild to me like it's like finding out that in like you know in historically in india way back when that they were mm-hmm. performing cataract surgery with like scalpels made out of obsidian and things like that you know oh delicate God. instruments i remember like yeah that's why there's such a history of medicine in india and oh there's yeah like, there's no a cultural reason for this of mm-hmm. of the the stereotypes of course but like oh I, yeah I, it's really fascinating to me how far back medicine can go mm-hmm. and and yeah that oh, a lot of times it can be right i mean you know broken. i mean one, one of the great thi- and this is another thing my dad talks about as an anesthesiologist but he's like you know what cocaine was a good anesthetic yeah, you know why true. It all it constricted the blood vessels. Patients mm. bled less when they were under the knife. That is, you know, you got you got a, you got addicted to cocaine out of it. But hey, yeah, hey, you live. So, so let's go into this very uncomfortable topic with kind of this stuff in mind. Let's yes. not. We don't have to say that it's all good intentions, but we want to understand what led otherwise reasonable people down an unreasonable path right right because yeah so 
so you arrive at this conclusion that the brain controls the human. So what are we going to do? We're going to start measuring the dimensions of the brain, which uh, Morton decided he would best be able to measure the brain by measuring the interior volume of the skulls. And this is what we kind of have to give credit to Morton for is that he meticulously measured all of these mm. skulls in his collection. This was wow. his obsession in life. Wow. Um, was measuring and cataloging all of these skulls. And the unfortunate and ugly truth of a lot of this is where he was getting the skulls from. And he, you know, not only wanted to, you know, uh, collect all five, you know, oh, of God. <laughs> representatives of the uh, human race. Do you... um? Do you know what the uh, what the five races uh, were? This is like this is like the most like Tolkien way yeah. to like think about human I was beings. Say, I was like, what is this D anD D? Like, what's going on? <laughs> it kind of is. Uh, it kind I, of is. I, it's what it's why you see. I I don't necessarily agree with the idea that like all fantasy is racist because of this, you know. Uh -huh. But you can see where people get this idea because yeah. of the way that we used to talk about people. So. To, to save you from that, that was a very unfair question that I asked you. What, uh, Joe, what are the five races? Uh, so the five races of humans, according to Morton, uh -huh. were Caucasian, Mongolian, okay. American, Malay, and Ethiopian. Huh. No, yeah. that's uh, <laughs> definitely wouldn't have guessed all of those interesting yeah well uh. you can see what he's tr what they're trying to do is to account for the 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 most the most obvious visible diversity yeah. among humans right right because even like the idea because this carries over today even if like we refer to white people as caucasian yeah which is this is so weird yeah, no, it's it's entirely weird because it's like it's why um, I was listening to an interview with uh, this guy. I'm trying to remember his name is a, a very funny comedian, um, but he wanted to get a uh, he wanted to get this show made called Allah in the Family. Um, and it sounds like <laughs> it would have been a, you know, kind of a very tongue in cheek show, but like, sure. you know, something like actually kind of nice about an Iranian family uh, living in America, you know, a, right, a, right. A, a, a Persian family with, you know, the kids want to be, you know, secular and American. And so does the dad, actually, like the dad is like super into America as gotcha. an idea. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, like it sounds like it actually would have been kind of like a wholesome show and, you know, definitely humanizes people that a lot of Americans like think of as, you know, scary brown people. Right. But, you know, and he comes forward and is like, hey, you know, this is a show about a Persian family, about an Iranian immigrant family. And apparently they couldn't do it because for their num the network needed like a certain diversity quota. And because technically, according to this classification system, Persians and Middle Eastern people in general are, general are considered Caucasian. Right. Interesting. If you've even seen the episode of The Office where Dwight points out that Mindy, uh, Kaylin's character, is Caucasian because she is Indian. Um, <laughs> okay. Huh. This, yeah. this, this all sort of goes back to this idea. Because 
if you actually study, you know, uh, human movement and everything, these are not really the terms that we use, but these are still part of our sort of concept of people of North Africa, Europe, and Western Asia, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. this is our idea that these people all look fairly superficially similar, have uh, straight to wavy hair, you know, like right. the, these the, in in sort of this time period, they were like, eh, that's good enough. They're all one race. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's kind of where this is coming from. Gotcha, gotcha. No, I mean, I, I historically understand it's just frustrating. I, it's I, incredibly frustrating. And also the fact that like people were like, you're not Caucasian, you're not from you're not from Eastern Europe. You're not from the Caucasus. You're literally <laughs> West. It doesn't make any sense. Like, what are you talking about? So that's like I, I was glad that people are like, even now, like on things you're starting to see, like white. And I'm like, that's that makes more sense. I mean, you know, and then the balance of ethnicity yeah. and then people getting that confused with race is a very, and then confusing it with nationality, which is a whole other thing. It's very, yeah, it is. And also like that idea of race allows you to incorporate things like Alexander the great and ancient Egypt into quote unquote yeah. white history you yeah know? yeah definitely um, because e- yeah because like egypt egypt egyptians did not look like sub-saharan africans at least not for uh the the parts of the reign that were uh, of egypt's empire that we think about the most mm-hmm. um they would not have looked like that but the ethnicity and race uh I mean, especially race as a construct, these things mean such different things throughout history. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's... it. We, we don't even really have time to get into all the reasons this it's, is wrong. It's a whole different thing. Yeah, it's a whole different tour for us to explain. Yeah, but. yeah. And maybe we will try to talk about it in, you know, the most uh, eloquent way we can. Yeah. But yeah, no, this this is incredibly troubling stuff, you know, uh-huh. and we haven't we haven't even started talking about the idea of the Mongolian race. We've only we're we're still yeah. only on that first one there, Joe. Oh, yeah, we yeah, gotta, yeah. We got to talk about oh, all of these. Geez. No, yeah. no, no, no. I'm not I'm not going to make us talk about this. <laughs> OK, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, this is this is uh, a lot for sure. I mean, yes, guess definitely like. Well, I guess I'm, I'm almost did we talk about where he was getting these skulls from? Cause that's so he was getting these Morton was a good schmooze, you know? Yeah. Morton had friends all over the world, missionaries, the president of Venezuela. What? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Morton made sure to, uh, you know, to to become acquaintances with a lot of people all over Mm. the world. What Morton figured out that, not a lot of scientists, you know, because, you know, travel was much harder back then. Sure, Morton yeah. Morton figured out this way to get the world to come to him. And okay. that he could get it into his study and that he could um, measure it there. And in some, in a way, we can kind of understand, like, when you are having a completely decontextualized skull, which, you know, all it has written on it is, you know... 
mixed Spaniard and Mexican, you know, like mm. on your desk and you're measuring its dimensions. Like, uh, the, we're starting to see like, th this is why like this, one of the reasons phrenology is completely bogus is that it is removing, uh, when when you're when you're only left with the skull you're removing the society the material culture all of these other things that could tell you about you know why are some cultures dominant and others are colonized why are yeah. some people poor and some people are not right right these are legitimate deep questions that people were trying to answer with science science seemed like yeah. it could uh, if we measured everything, if we well, measured right. everything, we could find the right, we could find the right combination that would make for the best world. And this is even the thing to understand about people that, you know, would later get into the idea of eugenics. Um, yes. Yeah. And I mean, and that that's incredibly uncomfortable to talk about. Yeah. But the idea that we can make a better world, I don't think they had the Holocaust in mind. Um, but they were on this assumption that, hey, we're doing something right, so everybody should be like us. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's what I want to keep in mind, you know, because that is one of the things you have to, like, confront even if you're a fan of Teddy Roosevelt, um, yeah. who, again, who, again, I think is an impressive individual of his era and one of our most progressive presidents, also, you know, he he did write on, you know, it's like, oh, they, the, those uh, those the, the idea of eugenics felt like it held water. And we totally should discuss that and talk about why it is wrong. Yes. But I want to understand what led, again, reasonable people to make unreasonable conclusions. The mm. other sort of weird thing about this and this is this is again, this goes back to my broken clock uh being right twice a day um uh metaphor from earlier. The whole five races thing was also seen as an anti-creationist idea. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Everyone because at this time, because secularization is slowly creeping in, um the one of the things that people are posing as uh, a, you know, a, as a contradiction to the Bible, everything being created at once at one time and then dispersing right. outward, you know, from the Garden of Eden. Part of this research was to support an anti-creationist viewpoint of the world. Creationists maintained that all humans were created uh, at the same time, and we are all one uh, species. And so the well, creationists were kind, kind of, of right. right. Yeah, I was <laughs> they like, were... it's not terribly wrong. I mean, no, this, this other idea is completely wrong. That's so. what's so frustrating about all of this. Yeah. It's like, Ugh. damn it. Damn it, they were right. It's literally on that one. Oh my God. I just. So, Ugh. yeah, so, so Morton and, and his, and his ilk, they were anti-creationist right. they wanted to look for a scientific explanation for the creation of the world and specifically for the creation of humans mm. and so in this period of the early 1800s specifically in the first few decades 
it was somewhat established that, oh, so there seem to be these five species or races of human um, evolving. Right. Rather than, you know, humans all evolving as one species and then as we migrated through the world, different phenotypes becoming more present. Sure, sure. I, I mean, but this pretty, to the credit of a bunch of uh, white old-timey scientists, uh-huh. to their credit, this was almost pretty much debunked by the mid-century. Gotcha. This, uh, there were a lot of people that held on to it. There were a lot of things that would still cloud a lot of scientific judgment and this um morton and his writings did a lot of damage and were cited by a lot of terrible people you know supporting an idea of you know basically the white man's burden that right because because morton found that uh, Caucasian brains averaged a larger size that clearly this size must correspond to intelligence. Uh, we have dents in our skulls that um, that determine how uh, how uh, creative we are. Uh, all all of all of this stuff that, you know, scientific racism would cite later. Most scientists in the community, like even if, that that's that's one of the crazy things in researching this. There were even scientists that by today's standards would be incredibly racist. People that were like um, you know, that saw white people as superior. Oh, but yeah. they still conceded that, oh yeah, no, but humans all have one human ancestor. We are there are too many similarities right. between us. We can right. all in we can all interbreed and produce fertile offspring. There's none of the, there's none of the markers that right. they were that they would that they could find that would, um, even without DNA, even yeah. without this. Remember that all of this is morphology based, right? And right, they right. are still determining no humans all seem to come from one ancestor, and especially once Darwin comes out with the uh, origin of the species there would be other interpretations of that to lend themselves more towards scientific racism, you know, like the idea that like black people are closer relatives to apes, like that's complete bogus. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, that would be misinterpreted later. But the science pretty quickly started to uh, dispute Morton and his colleagues. Right. This doesn't have a ton to do with the humans, but... (laughs) one of morton's like uh one of the people he worked with until he died in the uh, 1820s was this guy named richard harlan um and richard harlan was kind of this prodigy hit the ground running was very impressive as a young man and just kind of kept uh just just kind of kept falling on his face for the rest of his life like could not seem to make an make a name for himself as a man of science beyond beyond his sort of early promise right right um and if anyone out there is a fan of paleontology and evolution um you might know the animal basilosaurus the uh prehistoric whale um if you've ever wondered why basilosaurus 
Saurus meaning lizard. Why this prehistoric whale is called a lizard, it is because of Richard Harlan, who misidentified it as a giant lizard. Oh my god. <laughs> that's interesting. So that's where Morton's coming from. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, this yeah. is this is it's it's very interesting. It's also very like horrifying at the same time of this like yes. you're so close and then you completely go off the rails. And it just seems like a lot of the scientists too just wanted to be racist or just were racist. Well, they you know? wanted to find Without, you know, a, and I guess technically this would coincide, um, so, you know, some of these people did end up becoming Marxists. Really? Um, oh, okay, yeah, well, wait, why am I surprised? <laughs> uh. But, you know, without, without that being a widely spread ideology, you know, people were looking for, um... An explanation as to, yeah, well, yeah. why why do we seem to just be able to colonize anywhere we go? And since I don't think they even understood the smallpox epidemic quite yet. No, no. This was this was a potential explanation that the the morphological shapes of human skulls yeah. and the relative size, not even of the brain, but of just the cavity that holds the brain would tell you how intelligent someone right, is. Right, right. And this is just all completely wrong this yeah. is yeah this is not this is not how uh intelligence works this is not how it is measured but you know in addition to studying the five races uh <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> morton morton specifically was also like seeking out criminals that had been oh. executed oh man and uh, people born with um uh mental disabilities uh it, at some points in uh, the book I was reading on this, it's just referred to as idiocy. Mm. Mm. And, you know, this, it, they, they were they were looking for evidence of all of this as well. That, that, right. that you could look at the skull and, you know, determine someone's intelligence, their, their tendency to even be a deviant. And of course, this skews right, the right. numbers altogether. This, <laughs> right. this is... This is up there with, um, uh, oh God, what's his, what's his face? Um, you know, Mengele, like yeah, doing yeah. all those experiments on twins and right, Jesus he didn't even like, we don't even learn anything from it because he did it on like fraternal twins, oh, like yeah. not even identical twins. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, it's interesting though. You brought up, um, you know, like criminals or even like criminology or this idea of looking because cause one of the references that I, I thought of when you even mentioned this to me was of um, the Italian uh, criminologist and physician from the 19, early 19th century or no, late 19th century, uh, Cesare Lombroso, who mm. is weirdly similar to Morton yeah. in a sense. <laughs> like, it, it, same idea, just, and I don't want to go too much in a rabbit hole with it, but just to kind of make an aside for it, of that one can measure a skull of, or no, really mm -hmm. his whole thing was that people are born criminals and we can find those people based on physical appearances and we can, and he can prove it by measuring their skulls very meticulously and doing drawings and carvings on them, which was completely bogus as we've even discussed. <laughs> it's the same idea. And even, um... so, and even so much as that there was an Italian school of criminology that was based on the idea of studying 
you know, the patterns and, and where people are coming from, why this is happening, how it's rooted in human nature, you know, like, still probably not great, but at least going off of like, hey, this isn't inherent to, you're just born a criminal no matter what, because his, Lombroso's whole thing is it coming out of like how you look. So if you look, mm-hmm. you know, in, in these certain ways, then it would be that, like, even if you had longer earlobes, for instance, oh, that's a hint, mm. that's a hint of criminal, you might want to check them. So this is like the early stages of <laughs> racial profiling. Like, and obviously oh, that echoes into our history, probably really into today. But it, it, and even like, you know, just how mm-hmm. he it's it's interesting, though, like even as we're talking about like this idea of like where these scientists would kind of catch themselves in these like loops, because even for him, it was like yeah. when he would talk about women and how he was how people, people question. It's like, well, how are you going to base this idea off of? women and, and criminals who are women. And it was like, because he, of course, is misogynist yeah. too and has his own basis of what a good woman oh is versus gosh. a bad one. And of course, if they're bad and they're criminals, they're prostitutes or something else. Uh, what, what, good, what did it, why do I feel like he's like, they're like, can you draw the <laughs> ideal woman? And he like draws like an anime girl. That's a pretty good way to put it. <laughs> I would say like, it's just, you know, like even some of the ideas of him of like what, would have been considered like these features would be like a sloping forehead or ears of unusual size, asymmetry of the face, or even just like long arms, which is pretty wild. Like it, it's very, well, it's, I mean, I'm safe then I have short arms. There you go. Well, I mean, it's just, and then of course you get the more facial characteristics of, you know, longer noses, other things and so on. And then these like, if you just oh, look well, at the, wait, wait, yeah, wait, 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 we're both in trouble. The, lo- the lot, <laughs> The long, longer noses, what does that mean? <laughs> I yeah, you don't want to know in terms of oh, how this was described by his yeah. own vision because it's just, if you hooked noses, oh, they're criminal. And it's like, well, oh like, my God. I have, I have like these horns under my curly hair. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's not great. And this is also used in terms of, um, of a... Uh, you know, profiling both Italians, but also different groups of people living in said well, that, areas. That's so, the, okay, so like, I'm going to say a couple of things. Yeah. One, there, okay, so like, this is like one of those things where, just like with uh, phrenology going on in the UK, Yeah. all of this started as a way for them to profile their own people. Yeah. And then the second thing is, Racism is really stupid for a lot of reasons, but this right. is the one that is so fascinatingly stupid to me, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, you like you have this way of like, we're going to measure, you know, right, all of right. this stuff and we're going to find who is the superior race. And like, how can Jesus. like, how how do you how do you like live in like a world of like a white supremacist mindset and uh-huh. you're like we are the ideal human form we are the <sighs> ideal race and yet there's all these uh, like think about other stereotypes it's yeah. like you believe let let's say you think white people are the need to be ruling the world but if you believe that you probably also believe like Asians are super smart and telepathic and mm. uh jews are craftier and black people are stronger like why what? yeah do you th- why if you th- you have all of these unfounded beliefs about other people why do you why what brings you to the conclusion that you're the best then if everybody else is so much better than you yeah 
that's <laughs> it's just the craziness of it. It's just the it's absurd, quite literally, yeah. right? Like it's it's yeah. none of it makes sense. There's no logic yeah. to it, and that's the point. Mm-hmm. And even with yeah. this, it's like. It, it, it's clearly labeled just to profile certain groups of people, but he was obsessed yeah. with it. Just, you know, it was like, this is true. It's science. And everyone's like, no, it's not. It's it's not at all. And even <laughs> just to show you. He just, bit, all he did was reinvent Calvinism. Basically. And even just, even just. <laughs> you the, all are born criminals. Well, yeah, unless you are this specific type. And even his like idealized drawings of skulls were so anatomically inaccurate because it was impossible. Oh like it's just think about somebody who thinks that they're so smart. And when people ask them basic questions, they just counter their own points. So you're left with nothing because none of it makes sense yeah. unless it's you're him. And even like just to show you how much dedication was into this, he. He wrote instructions for how, like, like basically all of his research can be done when he died. So when he died in 1909, mm-hmm. yeah, they did this to his own skull and they preserved it, <laughs> it's, and it's on display in a museum of, in Turin. So it's oh like, God. you know what? That's one person that deserves to have their skull on display. I think we yeah, found one. That's, we found that's one. one. Yeah, and it's just uh, like, yeah. I kind of, I think it would have been kind of funny if they, I don't know if they did or didn't, yeah. but it would have been kind of funny if they did find him. Like if he had his own yeah. like, things and they labeled him as a criminal based on his own research. Right. It's just, See, that's, it's just the, that's the interesting thing about. Um, so a lot of the research for this today is coming from a book called The Skull Collectors by Anne Fabian. Um, and one of the things Fabian talks about is when Morton died in uh, 51, 1851, mm-hmm. um, his colleagues like, you know, they mourned the loss of their friend. He was a husband. You know, he was a very prominent member of the Philadelphia scientific community. He was a philanthropist. He donated a lot of money um, to having, you know, a center of science in the city and everything. Mm. You know, he's a very well-liked person. Right, you right. Know? Um, they, you know, they dissected his head. Huh, they, uh, they, they They dissected him when he died. Um, you know, he had been in poor health. Um, but you know, of course they wanted to measure his brain. Right. Um, and the one thing Fabian kind of mentions about this is the the thing that would have been almost the proper ending of this, because, you know, he basically ended up getting a standard burial, uh-huh, you know, headstone uh-huh. and everything. But the, all of this, you feel like his skull should have ended up in his own collection right i feel like that's like and i i read that suggestion and it's er, it's an early suggestion in the book because the book basically opens with um morton's death Mm. and you end this dissection of him and it's like you you think about it you're like that's kind of almost perfect like yeah for, for an imperfect person with a with some troubling ideas about the world this almost this would have made it all made sense to me i feel like you know interesting yeah yeah that like he not even like as a punishment i'm not even thinking about it in like a vindictive way i'm just thinking Uh like like that he should have been all in on his philosophy of studying and measuring the human body like this with this kind of indifference right right like you almost feel like you should have had that written in my into his will and be like treat me like i treated everyone else yeah and just stick my stick my head in a dusty collection you know Mm. um 
a lot of his collection has been repatriated. There are a, there are skulls that remain, um, but we don't know where where they come from or where they can go. The collection kind of got very disorganized after he died. Um, right, so right. It's a uh, it's a little difficult to do all of this, but like that's why I kind of like the idea of like. Um, <laughs> uh the italian guy getting his just, yeah it, just getting his skull uh, i mean put. he committed i guess to his own he, idea he, he, but... credit where credit's due i yeah. mean it's almost like it's almost a thing you kind of gotta like with with catholicism there's there's rel you can have holy relics you can have oh just, yeah you can just have a piece of a saint in your church well that's like know? that's something i think that i didn't know was considered bizarre until i mm-hmm. had friends with somebody who was very protestant and mm. um like because you know, i'm not i'm not like catholic like i grew up catholic but i don't go to church i've been to church in like well over 10 years you know you say that but then i hear you refer to the divide in christianity as christians and protestants well catholics and protestants but it matters no 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 no, no. i've heard you i've heard you make that slip far too many uh, times no you're catching on you're catching on <laughs> because it's well, it's because fr- it's different, and you know what? I think <laughs> it is. I'm it just is. gonna go to Ireland where everybody will understand that, and it's fine. Yes. I love that. That's <laughs> oh god. No. Oh my god. Well, like that. I love that. That was like. Well, I don't love it because it's a terrible conflict. But like, in mm-hmm. general, like on. I remember like on social media or TikTok, like people will be like, "Wait, Protestants and Catholics don't like each other?" <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> where you been? Oh my god. Wait, Joe. Have you seen the Captain Planet episode about yes, the IRA? Yes, yes. It's so, oh my god, with the bad Irish accents. Why don't you get a good uh, Protestant <laughs> name? <laughs> And then he fixes it in like five seconds and then just leaves. And they're like, ah, yes. When Captain Planet figured it all out. Oh, oh my yeah. God. It's it's, a, it's such an odd. There's like, there's even an episode of Miami Vice where like <laughs> they, they don't fix the conflict, but like, you know, there's like a sympathetic right. uh, Irish independence fighter. Who's like, you know, also I think blows up a plane at one point. I don't oh my know. God. Um, but yeah, no, I, well, so you might, but like, we, we want to ask ourselves, like, well, what does all of this mean? Right, I guess. right. Uh, and, you know, I, I, w- I was trying to think of like, anything, like, did we learn anything from all of this? Like, yeah. is there something we can look back on all of this information that like, w- did, that was a, a, Someone, it was uh, multiple people's obsessions in life, and they dedicated actual hard work and research to it, only to be completely, utterly wrong. Right, right. And I I think there's a lot of maybe more ethical and moral lessons that we can learn from this. For like, sure. you know, looking at the whole... There, there's a lesson here in when you want to study people the metrics of it all uh, are obviously going to be a component of things you know Uh i think metrics can tell us a lot about people and sometimes if if there's a group of people that were so far in the past all we have is their physical remains sometimes that's all we can go on like right right did these people what kind of climate did they live in live in did they get enough to eat you know that's that's stuff we can 
possibly learn from a skeleton. Sure. Not even just from the head, you know. Right, right. But you're 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 seeing that you're seeing how we have to look at any situation holistically um but i think you're also sort of seeing a beautiful you know uh the 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 breadth of humanity that can exist within the confines of the label of human mm. um and that we there are differences between a lot of us but the important thing being that we are all human yeah um and some sort of idea of caring for each other yeah like i i I was even thinking about this in terms of numbers earlier um and the way that we relate to this because that was morton's thing he was into the metrics he was measuring every nook and cranny of those skulls um and and measuring the insides you know uh it's like when um the earliest vertebrate ancestors crawled out of the ocean you know Mm. some of them had five fingers five digits on each foot and some of them had different numbers of uh of digits Mm. uh you know um you know, between between a lot happened between like Tiktaalik and Ichthyostega, right? Uh, and that whatever that creature was that we'll probably never find, but whatever the first tetrapod really was that we are all descended from, uh, as as uh as mammals, as reptiles, amphibians, birds, you know, all of it, whatever that creature was we don't even really know how important it was that it had that many digits on its uh, limbs. Mm. Uh, But because of that, we have a 10-based counting system, which isn't even objectively a really great numbering system. Like, there's a lot that's been said that our numbering system might actually be better if it was 12-based, you know? Mm -hmm. That, like... You know, people want to complain about 60, uh, but actually 60 is a great number for... That, that's why we divide time into 60s. Well, that makes it's sense. actually a really great number to use in fractions. Hmm. You know, base 10 only really works for us because we use decimals a lot. Right, you know? right. But really, the only reason we probably do that is because we have 10 fingers. You know, yeah, interesting. That, that that that's 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 probably the only one of the only reasons we do that because otherwise, base ten is not. Despite what those darn Europeans keep trying to rub in our face uh, with their darn smart metric system. I was just talking about this <laughs> of why we ten. Don't use it. Ten is not an inherently better number. I anyone that's worked in carpentry, in my instance, that's coming from doing custom framing. Inches are really nice. Inches yeah. and feet are really great to work with. It's easier. Uh, but th- this is besides the I'm, I'm getting too off topic. What I'm just sort of saying is there are these sort of arbitrary things that end up happening that end up having much greater uh, implications later. For sure. Yeah. And we want there to be meaning there. Um, mm. 
but I think then every now and then when there's something that doesn't quite work with our logic and right. or work with our system and there seems to be something beyond it, what I can even think of is like even the number pi, you know, a number that we know exists, but we cannot express with our counting system. Yeah. Like that's that's wild to me, but it's. <laughs> I think that hints at there's room for us to go beyond just the numbers of everything mm, and mm. trying to look at it as it is a tool. Right. But it's not the only tool. Yeah. Yeah. I think mm. you I think you put that really well. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I think this. I, was... I I tried. We had a lot of fraught uh, conversation today. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. Well, more more about the fraught people, I guess. Of it. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, behind it, but well, I I think I think uh, we as a as a society probably need to keep having this conversation. Yeah, yeah and I think it's a difficult one, but I also think it's important, and especially including yeah. you know right voices in it too yeah so uh, yeah. but i but i think you know it's yeah i mean it's interesting but it's also it, it is difficult i think even for mm -hmm. as we talk about it here it's it's tough but i think at the end of the day it does need to be discussed and really figured out especially now i just feel i just feel really bad for tarnishing the reputation of philadelphia i really I really dragged it today. That's okay. I mean, I can't promise that somebody else will get mad about it, but I, I'm just gonna let it go. Yeah, I'm not I mean, a I'm not a patriot, so to speak, of the city that I'm next to. Yeah, you know, at least at least gritty doesn't measure skulls. Gritty does not measure skulls. Benjamin Franklin probably did. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean. <laughs> It might be I think, one of I, I think Benjamin Franklin was um was was a little more obsessed with uh maybe some other things he, he could do with yeah, other human beings. Yeah, you know? yeah. I th I think he was a little busy sleeping with everything that moved. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know. Um. <laughs> anyway. That being said, thank you all yeah. so much for coming in today and braving the catacombs with us. We all have dark things that are underneath us uh that we stand atop of um you know and can't be afraid to shine a little light down there you know oh look at that look at the poetry in, right in there. the word in the words of the black keys if evil should lay his hands on me shine a little light on my soul there you go yeah yeah mm. do you know the name for that album was uh the last words of a guy in tennessee that was uh put to death by an electric chair seriously yeah i didn't know that they oh. uh they said any last words and he said let's rock wow yeah yeah huh mm -hmm. anyways <laughs> um yeah so the uncanny county museum yeah thank yeah, you all thank for you coming again. <laughs> yes thank you all um zan what do you got going on what do I have going on? Um, I've got some work up until December at uh, Then and Now, a show going on in St. Petersburg. Um, Very nice. Uh, in September, I'm going to be in the Critters show at the Mize Gallery. Uh, you can get more information on that if you uh, 
search M-I-Z-E Gallery uh, in St. Petersburg. Uh, there's They're always having lots of great shows of artists, and mine will be in the upcoming Critters exhibition. Mm. Um, yes, I'm really excited to be a part of that. The work for that show is being made specifically for that show. So it's not going to be something I've produced before uh, or put out before. So this is going to be really cool to see that nice. up there. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, some other rumblings in the works right uh -huh. now, but that is what I can sort of officially talk about. Then and now and Critters. Look at that. Very nice. Awesome. Yeah, what have you got going on, Joe? Oh, man. Well, I got two upcoming exhibitions that should be hitting in September, and they're both online-based, so at least they'll be accessible. Mm -hmm. uh, one of which is by is through Tiger Strikes Asteroid in collaboration with SVA. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's just going to be the name of the show. But it's a PDF exhibition that you're encouraged to print out uh, the images of and put in your own living space or wherever you choose to. So um, do that, I guess, if you want when it comes out. One of my photographs is in it that I was doing during the semester or the during the residency. And another one is through the Aerogram Center, which is a artist, uh, an artist-run gallery space that's digital. Uh, that's through a friend of mine who's in the res who's one of the residents as well. And it's gonna be a bunch of us uh, that'll have some of our works from during that residency as well as in the past on there. I'll have some videos probably showing through it, and it's also online based, but more details on that later. Uh, I got some other things going on too, but I can't really tell them right now. So until then, it's a mystery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everybody be on the lookout. Everybody. Joe's a rising star. <laughs> too kind. <laughs> too kind to me, Zan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, South Jersey's just shining a little brighter tonight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. if you would like to uh, find the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. Love hearing from you there. If you have any suggestions, corrections. Yes. God yes. knows there's probably something we uh, are due to correct on yeah. our discussion today. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, it's always uh, informative to learn some more information. And especially if we can, if we can incorporate that into mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. later exhibitions yes. as well. Um, also, you know, keep updates on uh, Joe the Sardo still at large. Yeah, wondering who that is. Um, do you like do you like when I post mug shots of you without uh, letting you know? It's definitely a highlight of my night when I saw it because I don't somehow get <laughs> notifications of that at times, and then I go on to Instagram and all of a sudden just see my face plastered on it, and I was like, oh yeah, that oh this person looks a lot like me. I wonder who it is. Yeah, that is one of my favorite pictures. It is. Of you. I, oh my I, god, I have it. I have this whole album of pictures, candidates I've taken of Joe that I've never shown you. Oh and I'll my maybe gosh. I'll maybe have to start putting those out one day. They're all they're all flattering, but just like uh -huh. you're just uh, I don't even think uh, I ended up showing you some of them. So I, yeah. Uh, oh my god, yeah. maybe it's just it's an artwork in and of itself. And make a book out of yeah. it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um. Well, I think that about does it uh, mm -hmm. for us. Oh, if you want to find me on Instagram, I'm at Xanosaurus. And I'm at Josemino Art on Instagram. And from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been San Peters. And I've been Josemino. Bye. Bye. Bye.